Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. My name is Chris Jackson. And this is Fred Shankleberg. And Chris, do you remember the advertisement years and years ago? It was Mac versus um, PC. And the mm-hmm. Mac dude was really cool and hip. And the PC guy was kind of stuffy and stuff like that. Where's um, this going, Fred? Well, you brought up the difference. You know, <laughs> what's the difference? You know, do you prefer fault tree versus the block diagram? You know, FTA versus RBD. And, and you said, you wanted to take the fault tree. And I says, well, that's fine. I'm taking the block diagram because that's way cooler. That's like a Mac. So that's, and I gave you a hard time with your computer all the time saying you need a Mac, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it kind of fell in place a little back backstage humor coming through here, but uh, what in the world's, I mean, I know they're, they do very similar purposes. They have slightly different approaches, stuff like that. The math is similar in my mind um if you get into that you know but and and there's various computer systems that one of the things i find on both of these fault trees and block diagrams is that almost every year at a at a big conferences like rams two or three people get up and talk about some nuanced corner case modification improvement that will make it better for everybody forever for each of these systems they just continue to find ways to get better allegedly <laughs> and mm-hmm. i look at those presentations every year and go you're just trying to get a paper published that's all you're doing Correct. you know come on who cares if, if you're going to all that trouble to jump through hoops to make that work for this situation go use something else event trees monte carlo something you know use some other right. system well, I mean, yeah, it's slightly off topic. I read a, I don't know how, because I don't usually, you know, live my life reading these sorts of things, but I read a, um, a paper, 1999, I think by one of the Carol Smiths, perhaps from UMD, or there's two Smiths who are professors at at the University of Maryland in the reliability center, risk and reliability center there. But um, there's essentially a, a paper which has said, you know, event sequence diagrams are better than event trees and they will be used before long. That was it in 1999. Mm-hmm. They'll be the dominant force. It's just, uh, I find academics can be demand levels of proof before they get persuaded to change their position. But of course, I often read papers like this where it essentially says, it's going to be like this. Just is. This is the future. <laughs> well, you know, physics of failure was another one that said, oh, this is, you know, if you talk to the folks at Calsis, this is the only way you can do reliability. I'm like, well, right. you know, and Hobbes was, what do you need all that other stuff for? Just do halt. That's all you need. Right. When it comes to absolutes, it's, you know, I, I have a hard time with that. There's, we have a range of tools and fault trees and black diagrams have been around as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm probably since the fifties as probably find really early uses of them and maybe even prior to that. And I think intuitively both have been used long for generations and generations. So 
Right. I mean, the most, I think the biggest absolute for when it comes to reliability engineering is what keeps, what's going to keep you up at night? The answer to that one is the thing you should focus on. And that might mean holes or physics of failure or something else. But um, yep. anyway, I mean, that's, that's as close as absolute we'll, we'll, we'll get, I'd, I'd argue. But, um, but it's not very academic y. So it's not going to be into what's going to keep you up at night. Think yep. about that long and hard. And you go, all right. These are our best guesses. Let's press play. Uh, too many reliability engineers turn into lawyers and you say, well, you need to prove that that's the weakest point of your system. Um, no. Yeah. No, okay. I'm going to extend it one step. Uh, maybe not an academic thing, but it's 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 not what keeps us reliability engineers up at night. That's one input. It's what's the program manager or the chief engineer or the mechanical engineer that's working on this pump system. What is it that keeps them up at night? What information do they need so they can make the right decision? I think that's my extension to, to what keeps us up at night. It's not just us. It's the team, the stakeholders in that system. Yeah. Um, so, well, I mean, we might be going off the uh, topic about what's what first, what's better. Well, RBD, I'll, I'll make my might first. Set, setting the scene. I don't know. Well, it is setting the scene. I think. There the, we go. So. When I years and years ago, I was doing all these assessments in Hewlett Packard, and I ran into one group that was making uh, a workstation, and they had successfully launched recently a very successful product and very good reliability on it and everything else. And I'm talking to them like, well, which and prior to that, they were on the ropes. They were just last in the field, and and their products were just shunned because. People buying workstations at times, uh, they don't last very long. They're hard to repair, all kinds of stuff. So they did all kinds of different things to make that work. And one of the most interesting things, and they didn't have a reliability engineer, they, and, and they were able to dramatically improve the reliability of their system without a reliability engineer. And a lot of the credit goes to two people. One was a technical, a technical marketing manager. Let's call him Phil. I don't remember mm -hmm. his actual name. And their program manager, let's call her Sarah. And Phil said, well, we've got five major subsystems in this computer system, this workstation. What's the current estimate of how reliable each of those subsystems are? And he brought that up in a meeting and looked around the table and said, well, what do you think it is to the leading electrical folks, the CPU folks, the you know, very power supply folks? What's your current estimate? And it was just off the cuff guess by each of these leads for these different systems. They wrote it down and says, well, if I do a little bit of quick math here, that means our overall estimate of our system is below what our target is. And so that Sarah said at that point, well, all of them have to work. What's the weakest link? And she looked then at, I think it was the power supply one and said, all right, next week, come back with three proposals of how you're going to improve it. And either the estimate, get a more accurate estimate that's better or how you change the system and everybody else don't worry about reliability right now. Let's focus on that weakest link. And that's kind of your, to your vital field, but it was a, it, that was a very clear RBD ended up being a very simple series system block diagram. 
and they posted it every week and they figured out what the weakest link was and then they focused on it. But it was the, and they called it a block diagram and that they actually had a chart would look mm-hmm. like a block, block diagram. And it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't complicated and it wasn't, you know, down to the individual component level. It was five in the series, but it, it enabled a thought process and decision-making prioritization that made a massive difference in the outcome of their product. So that's why I think block diagrams are just wonderful because they can easily lead to the conversations and the prioritization that needs to happen. So there. So yeah, that's why you love block diagrams? Risk. That's why I like them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it just, uh, I mean, there's uh I think that's why uh, I think you just outlined why you have a crush on block diagrams because they were your first true love when it came to yeah, drawing that's true. That's what that's I heard. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, it. and then all these upside down U's and you know all the other stuff. <laughs> I never understood those. <laughs> I think block diag. I mean, the good thing about block diagrams is that they can mimic the physical layout of a system, and humans are very visual. Yeah. And so um, a block diagram, if you have three pumps in a row and they're arranged in series, then you'll see block one, block two, block three in a row. And then you put little images as pumps on those blocks instead of just yep. a square, you know. You can and, cool. and if you have three pumps in parallel, you can you'll have a, an RBD which has block one, block two, block three on parallel lines about parallel success paths. And that is very you know, intuitively obvious or represents the baseline very, very clearly. So it works for me, a simple person. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think, um, and, and and there's there's always a motivation when you use visualization tools to make sure it aligns with how the brain works. Uh, and we are largely visual people. It's like you can do, you can study equation after equation after equation when it comes to data analysis, but there's nothing like seeing the data on a chart. And there's nothing like seeing the data on, a, for example, a Weibull plot where the plot is a chart which is transformed in a way to make sure that patterns that matter will emerge as straight lines. We are so, humans are ridiculously good at identifying patterns um, visually. We should always be trying to harness that capability. And folk trees don't do that. They certainly do not mimic the physical layout of a system. the, the a reliability block diagram and a fault tree can more than easily or more than happily model the same system uh, when it comes to system reliability modeling. The, the reason I, like, I prefer fault trees um, is because they can incorporate way more things. So, for example, a reliability block diagrams, you can only incorporate blocks which represent a component working or not, whereas fault trees you can you incorporate basic events and yes basic events include single components failing like a block failing in an rbd but it can also include all sorts of other things too like human errors and um uh and and lots of different events that aren't strictly component failing failing component failure um that might lead to a bad outcome happening. It could be maintenance not being right. It's quite a few different things. That yeah, you can one of the things I, I agree that fault trees can handle. Well, you need the sequence of events to occur. 
this flange needs to be loose and then this coupling starts a crack and then then that uh, coupling fails. It, mm. it, you can do a sequence of events and the probabilities of that sequence leading to a failure. Where a Bach diagram is, I got a coupling and it is either working or it's not, which is chance of failure. And it could have multiple different sequences to that failure, but it's difficult mm -hmm. in the block diagram to get to that point. Whereas mm -hmm. if you have multiple failure paths for a component, fault tree is the way to model that. Right. So pro for an RBD is that it can mimic the visual, the, sorry, the physical layout of a system, which aligns their visual skills. Pro of a fault tree is that it can incorporate more things and simple component failure. Well, that begs the question then is, it, I mean, it's two different, slightly different approaches. I, mm -hmm. Granted, what's the tipping point for going from one versus the other? Do you know what my tipping point is? You just like fault trees. No, no. Because I, I, <laughs> I say this to people. What works better for your brain? Because the main point is what what visualization methodology means you're less likely to make a mistake or less likely to not understand what's going on. Now, if fault trees are it because um the other, other positive other pro for fault trees is when you have to manually um evaluate reliability i'd argue fault trees are immeasurably easier to work through systematically you work from the bottom up and then once yeah. you get the top event you have a reliability figure where reliability block diagrams is not quite as simple as that you need to find the smallest instances of you know series and parallel systems turn them into a sort of pseudo single component and and off you go yeah so what is it you're trying to do? Um, if you're simply trying to visualize or understand cut sets, for example, cut sets are sets of component combinations, any of which will allow the system to fail. Um, reliability block diagrams are really good at identifying cut sets, really, really good, really easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can just draw a line through your success path. <laughs> if, uh, if that line required to cut success path goes through two components because they're in parallel that's one cut set with two components if it goes through a single component because that's where the path goes through then you've got a single component cut set um with fault trees it's not quite as intuitive as that so if you want cut sets to try and work out single points of fire and things like that maybe rbd is the way to go um if you need to manually analyze system reliability maybe fault trees are the way to go um, if you are someone who you know that you, where you know that you will make a mistake if it doesn't somehow relate to the physical layout of the system, maybe RBDs are the way to go for you. Um, if you are wanting to construct something in a very logical way, so you don't miss stuff by working incrementally through uh, understanding of the system, and maybe fault trees are for you. Maybe if you need to incorporate other events besides component phase and fault trees are for you. So depending on what you're trying to do, my advice to anyone I speak to is use a one that works best with your brain, which is going to minimize the likelihood of you making a, a mistake for whatever it is you need to do. And I'd expand that, that we don't, you and I don't do fault trees and, and black diagrams for ourselves. I mean, it might be As a rule, no. an exercise, <laughs> right? I think it has to also work well one is we need to understand it and be able to get to our objective of what we're trying to to understand or model or whatever. So it has to work for our brain. Yet if the your program manager is wired a different way and they don't understand what you're talking about, um, then it's for not. I, I think 
you got to expand that. It's got to work for your team. Right. It's, it's, and and your team, for example, might've gone to a reliability engineering course where all they did was fault trees. Right. And they got it down. You're a team leader. Right. Or they might, let's just not go too far. They might not love it. They just know how to use fault trees. They might not be able to spell IBD. So you as a team leader, even though you might have a preference for IBDs, you know, you know what? We're going to use Faultries because we're going yeah. to be less likely to make a mistake and vice versa. Um, I, I, as a rule, I find when people teach um, uh, system reliability modeling, they tend to, and, and it's any, anything more than a surface level course, they tend to focus exclusively on one or the other. The courses that do both they tend to be those ones which are introductory courses. All right, this lesson we're going to introduce you to fault trees, or gate yeah. and gate questions. All right, yeah. this is going to introduce you to RBDs. Series so, parallel gate out of N. Are, are there any questions? And yeah. doesn't go much deeper than that. And on our previous podcast, we actually talked about the more nuanced differences between series, caravan, and parallel systems. And when you scratch the surface, there's a, there's a little bit more to it, which you know, might make people go, huh. Oh, I'm going to really think about whether I use a parallel versus Cadavent system. I can see why in some scenarios this might be a better way to go. And see now I see why Cadavent might be a better way to go. I don't know. Well, you know, one scenario that might make this a real I, I don't know, for me makes it more useful is that the top-down approach of block diagram works at the program level, right? I got, you know, the different major subsystems and different teams working on those things. And it's a way to do the the apportionment of the overall reliability goal and and create that discussion I outlined earlier. Yet when I get into the depths of a power supply, why it fails and doesn't fail, and what do I need to work on? Black diagram gets pretty tedious at that point. And I think if I think part of it is is if we need the details of failure paths and cut sets and understanding what are the various paths to failure and which ones do we need to work on. Then I say, all right, let's populate, let's analyze it with the fault tree. The ending result is what goes into the black diagram at the subsystem level. And mm -hmm. but it it's part of in my mind, it's often do we have enough information to even populate a fault tree? If if it's just a black box to us and we have no idea how it works or doesn't work, it's just a black box that either is working or not. Mm -hmm. Um Fault tree is kind of difficult at that point. We can brainstorm all day long. We might have to cut open the box and take a look at it to see what it, how it's supposed to work. Yet if we've got lots of great information and we, we've been doing repairs on power supplies for the last five years, we may have a pretty decent set of information about that we can populate a really robust fault tree to do it or a block diagram. But I think part of the hurdle is, is what information do we have what data sets do we have what insights do we have that we can populate one or the other of these things yeah and sometimes if all you're after is cut sets just to try and find single points of failure you might not need that data you're talking about again That's i true. suppose it feels like every podcast we talk about it essentially is it a depends talk, <laughs> yeah it's, but it all comes down to the decision every yeah. podcast we have is a we end up talking about what are you trying to decide? What's your decision? And, That's true. and once, yeah. you, once you work that out, go from there. Um, 
like uh, I think the International Space Station, they they when they did their one system reliability analysis had over three million cut sets, and oh, they had a combination logic diagram to to do that, which is a combination of logic diagrams, including fault trees and RBDs, all sorts of things that had to come together where each different element of the space station had a different approach to being modelled in order to you know, essentially do all the stuff we're talking about. What's the best approach for this part of your decision? And then off we go. But yeah, 3 million cut sets, that's a lot. That's <laughs> a lot. There's more than one person working on that, I think. Right, um, and that's the point. So you have all these people going away, coming back, um, uh, with the with the Columbia disaster, they did a, created a fault tree for root cause analysis. That's another pro for a fault tree. I might add is that fault trees can be used in a very different way, but the same structure and logic to to do root cause analysis in ways RVDs cannot. And That's so, true. Yeah, no, no I, I've seen people use fault trees as a starting point for a, a, a root cause analysis. They have mm -hmm. this particular symptom, like, you know, like this power supply failed this particular way. Well, then it's a brainstorm of what's the ways that it could fail and then you right. you're essentially filling out a fault tree and then you go figure out which one did happen or is likely to happen um but i i agree with you that if that already existed the fault tree was already there um what are our symptoms and then oh that's this path here da, 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 da. we know exactly where to go look and we can we can deal with that we well, got to be careful might be a though, surprise because... or may not Right, because if you if most systems are serious systems, I like for example the the mouse on your desk right now, or the microphone you're speaking into, um, vehicles. Um, if you don't count the spare wheel, they're all serious systems. One as soon as one part of that system fails, the system has failed. You don't have a spare engine, you don't have a spare transmission, yeah. um, and and that's excluding tires for the purpose of this conversation and the spare wheels you carry. But shock absorbers. Right. If one, you might have four shock absorbers, but as soon as one of those goes, you got a problem. So well, you got, there's a spring underneath it. Right. So. I, understand, I understand, but your car has <laughs> failed. I know, yeah. I know there's different different levels of failure. Yeah. But I think the point is, is that um, uh, a a fault tree for a mouse on your desk, for example, it'd be a very simple fault tree. One bit, one OR gate with lots of different basic events from different components. The yep. LED, the capacitor, the PCB. As soon as one of those things fails, your mouse ceases to work. That's not particularly useful for uh, a fault, uh, root cause analysis. So if your mouse stops working, um, let's just say you're, you're doing some preliminary testing and all of a sudden you have a particular failure mode during preliminary testing of a new mouse. And that is that, um, I'm trying to think of something. Uh, it doesn't track left or right as well as it does forward and back. I don't know. Okay. Insert relevant failure mode. With a fault tree, you start with, okay, that's a top event. And you say, oh, what, what might cause that? And you might do brainstorming. Do Is the user using this in a weird way? Is the user having, uh, even though the mouse is sort of orientated in a special way, do they have it at an angle because wrist angles are blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, and, even like my, I have a trackpad instead of a mouse. Mm -hmm. And so is it more sensitive? Is there a different amount of, finger contact that has a different capacitance or whatever when it's going north south versus east west is there you know right. there's all kinds of variations 
But I think some engineers out there might listen to the podcast go, well, I say it's user, it's customer. They've got to use it right. If they don't use it right, then, then what can we do? Well, no, maybe, <laughs> maybe they're not trying to use your thing in a weird way. And maybe if you can get on top of this mouse being completely useful, regardless of the orientation of the user's hands, then you have a competitive advantage compared to your competitors out there. Well, I always, I phrase that as if you can meet the customer's expectations and well, that's not a specific specification in the, in our engineering requirements document. Well, do you mm -hmm. want your product to work or not? If do your you customers try it and it doesn't track well for them north, you know, up down and well, it's not working. It, right. All the components are working. All, it'll be no fault found when you bring it back to the lab yet they returned it to you. That cost you money. And right. get enough of those, you're out of business. Right. So do you want to uh, have the moral high ground or do you want to have a job? Well, that's you know, that's, it. Yeah, that's yeah. It's not even the moral high ground. It's just the, you know, do you want to feel like you're right and they're wrong or do you want to have a job? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> but that's, that's where a, a system reliability model factory won't be particularly useful because it's just going to be a sim simple OR gate with all these things failing. But if you have a failure mode and you want to do a root cause analysis, a fault tree can be really useful at sort of thing. okay, what could have causes? Was the customer, did their customer have a their, their risk at an angle? Oh, one person will say, ah, that's their fault. Hang, hang on, hang on. What if all customers do that? Does that mean that all customers will, if we are the only ones who, who create a mouse that can work like that, does that mean we are now an industry leader? The answer could be yes, simply because you start going down one, one thing at a time. And that sort of root cause analysis is something that RBDs can never do. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Now, there's, there's, I mean, we're talking about fault trees versus our, our block diagrams, and, and they each have their strengths and weaknesses and, yeah. and uses and so on. Um, and there's other systems, there's other methods out there. Um, but it, what triggered this thought was that when you said, you know, the NASA folks, and they had all these different ways of sorting out the probability of failure for all these different cut sets and stuff like that. And it's, it goes back to what you said. And we, I think we really hammered it home when we talk about questions people have about doing an accelerated test. We almost always ask, I think we 100% ask, but well, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to learn? What do you, what's the decision you're working on? You know, what, does this matter? Well, my boss said, just throw it in the chamber and see what happens. Well, why? Yep. <laughs> they, you know, what's the point? And the same with modeling. What is it? If you're trying to focus resources at your program level, well, one tool or the other may be the appropriate one and it helps that facilitate that conversation or some other tool. It might be a completely different model altogether. Um, and I know I've talked about this group that, they had 30 known failure mechanisms. In some of them, they only had, you know, um, test data basically for field failure data related to that mechanism. And others, one of the failures was air would diffuse into the ink. Um, and it, it was through a polymer uh, plastic pipe, essentially. And that they traded off how thick they made it versus how flexible it was, easy to manufacture, all the stuff. And they all had various different diffusion rates. And diffusion was a fixed quantity. If you knew the atmospheric pressure or you knew this or that other thing, it, it they knew exactly what 
the time to failure was for this too much air getting into it and causing a problem. Uh-huh. And they had a beautiful physics of failure model for that, that if you knew where in the world this person was, you knew exactly how long it was going to take for that to fail. Mm-hmm. And it also depended on how often they printed. They print a whole lot, then the air gets flushed out. If they don't print a lot, then the air bubble has time to accumulate and then it rocks right. thing, stuff like that. So it was, but they had other failure mechanisms that if you use it a lot, it actually wore it out quicker. So there was a trade-off and sometimes the failure mechanism and I think this is where um, both block diagrams and fault trees tend to break down a bit. If you've got a, a a mixture of customers, and some are heavy users and some are very light users, they may experience very different sets of Paretos of what's causing problems for them. And to right. optimize for the ones on the East Coast or the ones on the West Coast, you know, left-handed people or right-handed people. Well, the hard part is where do you find that balance to get it right for both? And that's where stepping away from these, these two different systems we're talking about and understanding that, well, the probabilities in these, both of these charts may change depending on which audience we're talking about, what customer we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Does that just throw another whole wrench into this whole thing? Something to talk about in the future? No, I, th- I, th- I think people are looking. Uh, I, th- I think a lot of a lot of people listen to these podcasts looking for the answer, and the, and the reality is you just need to be more educated, and more confident about these different tools and these different techniques and these different mo- modeling methodologies. And the reason being is that you have to ha- make the decision yourself, one way or another. There's only so much we can say about whether a fault tree or an RBD is better. But the reality is regardless of your preference for an RBD or my preference for a fault tree, we've both admitted that in some scenarios, Fred, you're going to use a fault tree. In some scenarios, Chris, I'm going to be using an RBD because it's all about the decision we're trying to make. And again, like I said, I think that's sort of the glue for every single one of our podcasts. It comes down to what's the decision you're trying to make and then go from there. So know what a fault tree is, know what an RBD is, know which one's better. And also which one, what each one's, each one can do well and what each one cannot do well. And when you're faced with your decision, just be confident based on your fluency with those two different modeling methodologies of of, uh, which one to use. Yep. Well said. So if you've got a question about these models or other models like that, let us know. Head over to ascendoverliability.com slash go slash SOR. Find a couple of ways to get in touch with us. Chris and I and the other hosts are available through LinkedIn and our about pages. We've got lots of ways for you to get in touch with us. Um, Yeah. System modeling is, it can really, really make a difference with a program and, or it can be just a checklist thing. And so hopefully having a good understanding of it, as Chris outlined there, helps you move it into it's very useful and very valuable for you and your your organization. Um, so let's mm-hmm. let's hope that tips you a little bit. Today's episode tips you a little bit more in that direction. Absolutely. Uh, cool. Absolutely. Great. All right, Chris, look forward to a handful of more conversations about system reliability and modeling and all that other good stuff and uh, see what kind of questions come in because I think all of us in one way or another have to deal with it uh, and so we'll see what kind of questions we get always a pleasure all right talk to you later Chris take care see you Fred thanks for listening to speaking of reliability 
we invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes, or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.